Hello, and welcome to the Church Newtown Square podcast. If we can serve you in any way, or if you'd like to learn more about our church family or the Acts 29 network, please visit us at churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q dot org. And now, let's listen in to today's teaching. So excited to be able to share the Word of God with you this morning. Now, this May of 2023 marks 10 years since I met my wife, Leah. And so this morning, I thought that it'd be fun, similarly to the TV show, How I Met Your Mother, to sit you all down and force you to listen to several stories of my life that led me to meeting my wife, Leah, even though you never bothered to ask to hear them, right? Um, (laughs) So I'll start all the way back in 1986. No. I'm kidding. I'm just going to fast forward to the part where we met. Uh, Leah and I met while I was visiting Cleveland, Ohio, just over 10 years ago. And uh, we met through mutual friends. And we actually met at a coffee shop. And um, we instantly clicked. And Funny and oddly enough, uh, the, after hanging out a few more times with each other that weekend, uh, I also met, her, ended up meeting her parents and her entire family. Um, and what I heard was that after I met her family, that Leah's mom approached her to inquire about her interest in me after seeing like clear and obvious chemistry between us. But Leah immediately shut it down. And she said, stop it, mom. I just met the guy. It's never going to work out. And then Leah's mom wisely said, hey, you never know. He might end up becoming your husband one day. And I think deep down, uh, Leah, even though she was shutting it down, she knew that this Latino stud of a man that she just met was special. And she was intrigued to get to know him a little bit more, right? And so, so I, now if you ask me, what I think made her fall for me, I'd say it was the goatee, right? It was impeccable back then, still impeccable now. But long story short, um, we started dating, got engaged, and married all within one year. And I have to say that being becoming a husband, specifically to Leah, is and always will be the best day of my life. Love you, babe. Um, <laughs> but... I know even though we've been married for a while now, I know that there's so much more room for growth in in becoming a Christ-centered husband for my wife. And so this morning, we're going to be focusing in on what we started a couple weeks ago of reading through Ephesians 5, and we're going to be focusing in on marriage and our individual roles within it. Now, there's so much to cover in this topic, and so today we're going to be primarily focusing in on the individual role of a Christ-centered husband. And then next week, Pastor Tom will continue and uh, be focusing in on the individual role of what a Christ-centered wife is. And so as we take a look at what the Bible commands husbands to do, wives, you can proceed to put in your AirPods in, listen to some T-Swift if you want, or just start placing some random orders on Amazon right now. So in two days when you get 10 packages delivered to your door, just remind your husband that you had some extra time on your hands, right? <laughs> Husbands, 
don't worry, next week you'll have your opportunity to do something similar. No, I'm kidding. Hey, wives, I hope that you do not zone out just because we're primarily addressing husbands today, but rather I hope that by listening, you're encouraged to hear the call and responsibility that men have before God to love you in an amazing, beautiful, and unique way. And that's going to make it so much more beautiful when you respond to God's call to love your husband in an amazing, beautiful, and unique way as well. See, because at the micro context uh, or micro level context of marriage, each spouse, husband and wife, has a different yet complementary role to play within marriage. But then at the macro level context of what marriage points to, which is the gospel, which is Christ and the church, all of us, both men and women, are called to love in the way that we will see today. And so what's discussed today affects all of us in this room. And so my hope and goal for wives is that they would be encouraged to and motivated to pray for their husbands and encourage and support them in the Lord after this. But then my hopes and goals go far beyond that. If you're a single woman that's here today that aspires to be married one day and wants to be a wife, my hope is that you would listen to what the qualities of a godly husband are and that you would ask God to meet someone that truly exemplifies these qualities. And if you're a single man here today that aspires to be married one day and wants to be a husband, I hope that you wouldn't waste another day to pray and ask God to start shaping you into a godly man now, even in the waiting season of your life. And as last week we covered, if you feel like God is calling you into a godly life of singleness, my hope is that you would love, support, and encourage Godly marriages within the church as they come alongside of you and do the same. And so my prayer is that as we open up God's word, all of us are encouraged to hear God speak to each and every one of us this morning. And so the main thing that our passage in Ephesians 5 verse, verses 25 and on will teach us. And the main thing I want all of us walking away remembering today is that Christ-centered husbands choose to love their wives just as Christ graciously loves the church. I'll say it again. Christ-centered husbands choose to love their wives just as Christ graciously loves the church. And so let's open up our Bibles today to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And we're going to break this down really slowly, so I'm going to be reading and then taking a moment to talk. So it says... Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Let's pause for a second here and realize that this is God's command for husbands. It's what we're called to do. It is our responsibility before God. And so how are we to love our wives? What is the love that is described here in this passage? Well, Paul gives us a clear understanding by uh, an answer to this by saying that a Christ-like love for our wives must be unconditional, must be sacrificial, and purifying. We must love our wives in an unconditional, sacrificial, and purifying love. 
And so we're going to break down each one of these three, one at a time. And so the first one described here in our passage today is an unconditional love. And we see this in verse 25. The first part of it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So how does Christ Jesus love the church? How does Christ Jesus love the church? The answer is by loving her unconditionally. Unconditional love as described in the Bible and defined in the Bible is to love someone regardless of the circumstances or their flaws. And so it's a love that doesn't place any conditions on them. And so Paul tells us that this is exactly how Jesus loves us just a few chapters before. And so let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Let's read it. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. And so let's stop right here for a moment and realize that before Christ, all of us were ungodly and unholy. We dishonored God with our lives and we chose to love other things far more than him. And so because of this, God isn't required to love us or have anything to do with us. And so Paul summarizes this type of life apart from God as spiritual death. That's why he says we are spiritually dead in our sins and trespasses. But thank God that our story doesn't end here. Amen. And so let's keep on reading verse 4 and on. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. This church is what we call unconditional love. See, in spite of our sinful rebellion against God, he loved us. And by his grace, he provided a way for us to be made alive, to be holy, and to be his children. And this has nothing to do with who we are. We are dead in our sins and trespasses. We are spiritually dead by nature. We are unlovable and unworthy. And it has nothing to do with what we do because our good works are insufficient to earn us God's love and acceptance. Jesus loves us simply because he's gracious and there are no conditions to his love for us. Do you know why that is? It's because Christ has already fulfilled all of the requirements and conditions for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Christ has already accomplished our salvation, and so there is no need for us to strive to earn his love and acceptance. The reality is, the truth is, if Christ placed conditions on his bride, the church, then it'd be impossible to live up to those things. It'd be impossible. But Jesus loves us unconditionally, despite our failures and 
flaws. And here's the thing, conditional love, especially in marriage, does not work because it places a hyper focus on a person's flaws. For example, I remember when I shopped around for engagement, uh, engagement rings for Leah. Um, now, first off, I know you might be asking, did I go to Jared for the ring? Uh, no, I did not because that did not fit the uh, working in ministry budget that I had going on for me at the time. Uh, but I went to this local jeweler and he helped me customize their, this ring. And um, I, I don't know if you heard of him. He's uh, Neil Lane or something like that. Just a small little guy. Um, no, I'm kidding. Neil Lane is big time guy, right? If you don't know that. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, this was one of the first times I've ever been to a jeweler and I couldn't help but, at, but like seeing that he was uh, using a microscope to look at the diamonds. And so I asked him, hey, why do you do that? And he said, it's to inspect the diamond of any imperfections, flaws, and defects. And he said that if he found any of those things, then the value of the diamond would change and decrease. And I think similarly, in marriage, it's so easy to often put our spouse under the microscope to inspect any flaws and imperfections. And then we start placing some unreal expectations and conditions on them, and we start devaluing them. We think, ah, they don't make me feel like they used to, or they don't look like they used to. And so we start thinking that it's okay to change the way that we love them or stop loving them entirely. But clearly, conditional love in marriage does not work, and it is not the call that God is calling us to. And so, man, this begs the question, what conditions and expectations have you brought into marriage? Are there any? Can you think of any? What conditions and expectations have you brought into your marriage? We can't let these things go unguarded because it will lead to us devaluing our wives. Man, the call and responsibility is to love them unconditionally because this is how Jesus loved us. And so there's not a thing they can do or say that changes the way that we love them. And we must be, we must be wholeheartedly committed to never giving up on them. And the good news is that we can love like this because Jesus loved us unconditionally despite our failures and flaws, and he never gives up on us. And so that's the first description of a Christ-like love for our wives. The second one that we see here in our passage today is a sacrificial love. It's a sacrificial love. Verse 25 continues to say, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The gave himself for her is a depiction of the sacrificial love of Jesus. He accomplished the ultimate sacrifice by giving up his life on the cross of Calvary once and for all for, the, for his bride, the church. And so he gave himself up for her ultimate good. And this is the same type of love that husbands should have for their wives. But unfortunately, Sacrificial love seems to have become antithetical to what modern society views love as, which is usually, what can this person do for me? What can this person provide for me? Or how does this person make me feel? In the end, it's all about me, right? And then we wonder why it's so hard to be married to someone else, right? But the reality is that marriage will always put our ego and our selfishness to the test. 
and, the, and, and it will show the true colors of our selfishness. Those will start to show and it will always lead us to choose to put ourselves first rather than our spouse. But that's what marriage does though. It shows our true colors of selfishness. For example, I shared this last time that I preached um, that Lee and I have been binging our uh, trash TV reality dating shows, right? And I'm still not going to reveal what those are to you because I don't want you to judge me. Um, but um, we've been going through those because football can't come back soon enough. Only three months left, but who's counting, right? Um, but I've noticed that all the people that go on these shows say that they're ready for engagement and marriage. They say that they're ready, but once things get real and they are about to settle down, it becomes so ob obvious that they were never ready for the commitment. Like some of these people don't even wanna give up their own apartment while being married or start sharing a bank account while being married. These are simple and basic things that you do, right? But the realities of marriage will always show our true colors. They will always show our true colors and it will always put our ego and selfishness to the test. And it's delusional to think that marriage will all of a sudden make our selfishness disappear, right? It's not like all of a sudden once I become married, then all my selfishness goes away. No, real work must be done in order to put it to death. And the good news is that God shows us a better way than being selfish and egocentric in marriage. Putting yourself first is not the best option. Rather, God says dying to yourself and giving up yourself for the ultimate good of your spouse is the better option. And so sacrifice in marriage will put selfishness to death slowly but surely. Slowly but surely. And so the Bible calls us to put others' interests and needs above our own, in this case, our wives. And so we must put her needs and interests above our own. That is true sacrifice. And so, men, this begs the question, what is one sacrifice that you can make to put your wife's needs above your own? One thing, starting today, starting this week, what is one thing that you can do to put your wife's needs above your own? Giving up our lives for the good of our wives is one way that we get to imitate the sacrificial love of Jesus. And so that's the second description of a Christ-centered love for our wives. But then the third description that we see in our passage today is a purifying love. It's a purifying love. Look at verse 26 through 27. It says, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. And so this verse describes how Jesus, by giving up his life, has purified and cleansed the church of our sins. And he's made us holy so that one day he could present us as blameless before him. And so the result of Jesus' sacrifice is our righteousness and holiness. So the church is purified because Jesus has led it to holiness. 
And he's done this definitively for the church. All of us here, if we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, are holy before God because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But husbands get a major and special role to play in the progressive holiness or progressive sanctification of their wives throughout the rest of her life, right? And so... Obviously, uh, there's no doubt that uh, marriage uh, or like a relationship with your spouse is a means to your, to your uh, sanctification, right? Um, there are mundane things that happen in marriage that will um, play a major role in you becoming more and more holy, more and more like Christ. For example, if your wife uh, takes about an hour to get ready for church or for a date night and you're waiting patiently there, then just know that God is using that moment to grow you more and more like him, right? Wives, if your husband snores all throughout the night, just know in that moment that you're awake in the middle of the night, that God is growing your patience, right? Just like him and is using that moment to make you more and more like him. I know some of you are like, but Lord, there must be another way. Make me holy another way, but take away the snoring, Lord, right? That's your prayer today, right? But those things just happen. That's how it is, right? But then there are also some intentional things that we can do in order to help each other in our sanctification. And that's exactly what this verse is alluding to by comparing it to how Jesus intentionally leads the church to holiness for a purpose. And so how Jesus leads the church to holiness, husbands are also meant to lead their wives to holiness. And so holiness is the goal. John Piper has a great quote that says, leadership is not a demanding demeanor. It is moving things forward to a goal. If the goal is holiness in heaven, the leading will have the holy aroma of heaven about it, the demeanor of Christ. So what he's saying here is that a wife's growth in holiness can best be enhanced by a godly husband that leads with a Christ-like love, a Christ-like demeanor, right? gentle and humble like Christ is. And so we ought to do the same for her. And so this means that a husband must love their, must uh, love Christ and must know Christ. We must be spiritually mature as well. For example, there's an expression in leadership that says that you can't lead anyone else further than you've gone yourself. You can't lead anyone else further than you've gone yourself. So I can't come up to my wife and be like, hey, let me teach you Pilates if I've never done Pilates one day in my life. Or I can't say, hey, let me teach you I don't, Japanese if I don't know one word in Japanese, right? I've never been taught Japanese, and so how can I expect to teach her? In the same way, I can't expect to lead my wife spiritually, if I myself have not been led by Christ. So it starts with me, men. It starts with you. So this begs the question, in what ways are you being intentional in growing in Christ so that you can lead your wife to grow in Christ as well? In what ways are you being intentional in growing in Christ so that you can lead your wife to grow in Christ as well? And the good news is that not only are we responsible to lead our wives in this way, but we also get the privilege of doing so. It's an honor to love our wives in this way and to be such a major part in their journey to grow more and more like Christ and be more holy. 
So today, I, my prayer is that you wouldn't just see the weight of this responsibility, but that you would see the joy that it can bring to your marriage. So as we've seen, God commands husbands to love their wives. We are to love them unconditionally, sacrificially, and in a purifying way. Then in verse 25, after Paul gives this, demand, uh, this command, he's not like, well, good luck, you know, figure it all out on your own, have fun with that. No, he follows up that, that command with a powerful statement that says, just as Christ loved the church, just as Christ loved the church. And we covered this uh, a while ago, but um, earlier on this morning, but that, that phrase talks about how he loves us unconditionally. But I do think that this powerful statement, just as Christ loved the church, also serves several different purposes, one of which it serves as our example. It's our example. This is the love that we are to imitate. We've seen this all throughout our sermon this morning. This is the love that we are to imitate. And so, man, yes, the bar is set high. That's for sure. But nonetheless, we are to love like Christ loves. Obviously, we can't take the place of Christ in our wives' hearts, but we can surely imitate his love. And I don't know about you, but... For me personally, this seems very intimidating at times because I feel like I fall short of that bar all the time. But that's when the phrase, just as Christ loved the church, is so significant because it also serves as our reminder. It serves as our reminder all throughout the book of Ephesians that after a command is given, with it comes a reminder of the gospel. It's usually phrased like, do this because God has done that same thing for you. So marriage reminds us of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's a beautiful representation of it. But then finally, the phrase, just as Christ loved the church, also serves as the means. It serves as the means by which we can love. And this aspect is sometimes overlooked, but what I mean is that in the same way that Jesus loves the church is the same way or means by which husbands can love their wives. And so what is the way that Jesus shows love to the church? What is the way that he loves it? It's through his grace. It's through his grace. We already saw this in Ephesians 2, that Jesus loved and redeemed the church by and through his grace. By grace, you've been saved. But the thing about his grace is not, it's not just something we experience only one time in our lives. It's something that is made available to each and every one of us each and every day of our lives. And so do you know what will empower you to love your wife in a Christ-like way? It's his grace. His grace empowers us to love like Christ loves. And the good news is that it's made available to all of us here today. And so you have two options. Either you can rely solely on your own strength to sustain your marriage, or you can rely on God's grace to strengthen and sustain your marriage. Word of advice, don't rely solely on your own strength because although marriage can, it is beautiful, it can be tough and draining at times. So when you rely on his grace, he empowers us to love in ways that point to Jesus' love for the church. So this morning in our passage, we've seen that we're to love in an unconditional, sacrificial, and purifying love. Now, do you notice something specific about all three of these 
descriptions of love has nothing to do with feelings. All of these descriptions of biblical love are choices that we get to make. Sacrifice is not, is not a feeling. It's a choice. Love is a choice, not just a feeling. So the Bible doesn't command us to love our wives just, just because they make us feel good or happy about ourselves. No. If you think that love is solely about feelings and affections, then you will undoubtedly get disappointed in marriage over and over again because there are times in marriage that the feelings don't line up with love. And here's the reality is that feelings and affections come and go. They come and go especially when, the time, when uh, things are rough in marriage. But that's when loving on someone, choosing to love someone is the better option. And that's what makes it better. It's because even when the feelings don't line up with the love, love is a choice that we get to make. And so choose love. Choose love even when times are tough in marriage. Choose love each and every day and in each and every circumstance, choose love. Ephesians 1, 4 reminds us that before he created the world, he loved and chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless before him. And so men, make the choice to love your wife each and every day in an unconditional, sacrificial, and purifying way by relying on God's grace for you. The sermon you've just listened to is a presentation of Church Newtown Square. To find out more about our church, check out churchnsq.org. That's C-H-V-R-C-H-N-S-Q.org. You are welcome to copy and distribute this sermon to others as long as you do not do it for commercial purposes or alter, transform, or build upon this talk in any way.